Eduardo, would you close the door for me, please? Thank you. Man, I loved, I loved all the, the songs. I don't know if you noticed the theme. There's a lot in there about the Word of God. And, and of course, that's, uh, that's who we are. And that ancient words is, would, maybe would be our theme song. Um, that's who we are. Those ancient words. And, and uh, I really, Adam and Heather did a great job putting the music together tonight. And, you know, and, and I can't help but think uh, three and a half years ago, when there were eight of us here, I think we were seven or eight the first time, and, and uh, it was, uh, and, I, and I look at what God's done, you know, and, and uh, we, I talked about it in the north, and uh, it's just a real praise, and we, we've only just begun, brothers and sisters, we've only just begun, we, we haven't started yet, and uh, um, so uh, praise God for all that He has done and all that He will do, um, okay, uh, the literal translation of the Hebrew in Proverbs 29.18 is this. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue in the English, but this is the literal Hebrew translation. Without a vision is a people made naked. And whoso in, is keeping the law, oh, his happiness. That's the Hebrew. Without a, without a vision is a people made naked. And whoso is keeping the law, oh, his happiness. The King James translation will be a little more familiar to you. Where there is no vision, anybody know? The people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The New American Standard says it like this. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. The New Living Testament paraphrase says it like this. When the people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is happy. And then lastly, I wanted to share the, the message paraphrase with you. It goes like this. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. God is saying at least two things to us um, in this great text, Proverbs 29, 18. He's saying, if you're not hearing Me, you are exposed. If, if you're not listening to Me, you are unprotected and you are vulnerable. You will not survive. If you're not paying attention to me, you will not know how to live. This is one of the things God is saying to us in this text. The other thing He's saying to us is, if you're hearing me, if you're accepting this divine counsel I'm giving, if you're obeying me, what does He say? What's the promise? Happy are you. Happy are you, says the Word of God. Now God is saying, He's saying these two things. And... and, and and one is not any good without the second. You know, the, the first one's of no profit without the second one. The first one is, <clears throat> you must hear me. And what's the second one? You must do it. You must hear me, and you must do what I say. This is the Word of God. And happy, happy is the man who hears me and who does what I say. James 1.22, most of you know this, this very famous passage. He, God says something indispensably important to us here. And God is just basically reiterating what He says in Proverbs 29.18. And the first thing is no good without the second thing. But God says this, My people are to be doers of the Word. My people are to be doers of the Word. James 1.22 what does he say about people who hear the word but don't do it? Anybody remember? 
You know, he, say, he says, he says you're, you're merely a hearer who deludes himself. And I think we've got, in the Christendom at large, we have many people who are simply hearing what God says, but never doing it. And God says that that man or that woman is deluded. You know, if we're not hearing God and we're not doing what we hear God say, then we're not really a church at all. <laughs> we're just pretenders. <laughs> we're just uh, hearers who are deluded. God expects His people to hear and God expects His people to do. This is Jesus' definition of Christianity. You know, when people come and ask me, and I've shared this with you many times, when people ask me, what's, what's, your, what's your definition of a Christian? I always go to the same place. I never have to hesitate. It's John 10.27. John 10.27. Here's what Jesus says. This is what a real Christian looks like. My sheep hear me. And somebody finish it for me. My sheep what? Follow me. It's simple. Christianity is simple. It has always been simple. It is simple. Yeah, the theology will drown you. It's massive, it's lofty, it's unfathomable, it's beautiful, beyond description. But ultimately it's simple. My sheep hear me and my sheep follow me. That's it. That's a Christian. My sheep hear me and my sheep follow me. If you've been around for a while, you know that I'm a real uh, devotee of, of Hebrews 11. I love Hebrews 11. I could preach Hebrews 11 almost all the time. Um, and you know, if you ask... If you ask 10 different denominational leaders, what does a Christian look like? What does it take to be a Christian? How do you become a Christian? You might get 10 different answers, but you want to know what God's answer is? God's answer is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. This is God's answer to what a Christian looks like. God defines faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so counterfeit Christianity can't, it, with any intellectual integrity, dumb it down to where it's only mental, mental assent. And we know that this goes on in the church at large all the time, uh, dumbing down the, the, the requirements of the gospel. And so we can't do that biblically or with any, in, any intellectual integrity. God says, here's a bunch of guys that did it. That's what it looks like. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. God says, here's a bunch of men and women. They did it. That's what I want you to do. That's what the Lord is saying in Hebrews 11. I love, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Abraham and Noah and Sarah and, and Rahab and Gideon and David and Jacob and Joseph. It's those guys. It's those guys. God expects you to be those guys. He expects you to live just like those guys. You're no different. You're no different. You know, I hear people say, oh, I'm not like, yes, you are. You are a sinner saved by grace. You're just like them. You're just like them. I love what R.T. Kendall said about the men and women of Hebrews 11. He said they lived the unprecedented. Don't you love that? Don't you want to live the unprecedented? They lived the unprecedented. They followed God. I love what John Eldridge says about them. He says they, live un they lived uncareful lives. Don't you love that? Don't you want to live an uncareful life? Don't you, do you want to live afraid your whole life? Or do you want to live an uncareful life? Believing God, trusting God, watching God show up and do miraculous things. I, and Bruce Wilkerson said this, that these men and women left behind comfortable assumptions and mediocre expectations. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to leave behind uh, these comfortable assumptions and mediocre expectations of most of Christ Christendom? Don't you want to? I do. I do. 
God unapologetically says, this is how my people live. They live Hebrews 11. They do Hebrews 11 faith. And if you finish up Hebrews 11 and you know, and you turn over there to, to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is all God says in Hebrews uh, 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. God says, okay, I showed you what it looks like. All those guys did it. Those men and women did it. And in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, now you go do it. It's exactly what God is saying. Go look it up. Go study it for yourself. Go study it for yourself. God says, I want you to live like I'm a huge God. And like I'm a faithful God. And like I always show up. That's how I want my people to live. Like the men and women of Hebrews 11. And I told the morning congregation, man, these men and women weren't perfect. They weren't, were they? There was a prostitute. There was a murderer. There was a coward and a liar. There was a deceiver. These weren't perfect men and women. But you know what they did? They got up every morning and they started fresh with God. They confessed their sin and they started off with God again. Isn't that what we need to do every day? Start off with God again, believing and trusting and obeying. Um, you know, you get a glimpse of God and you realize that an uncareful life is not only reasonable, it's imperative. It's imperative. It's imperative that we live the faith we're called to live. If you think the primary purpose that God brought you here to Milano, and I've said this to you many times, is a paycheck or to get an education then you've misunderstood why you're here. That may be the reason or the vehicle by which you came this way, but that is not the purpose for which God brought you here. God brought you here to be a doer of the Word. God brought you here to, to experience the unprecedented. God brought you here to be a Hebrews 11 Christian. That's what God brought you here to do, to do His Word. You know, I hear people sometimes, it's almost like I'm spiritually biding my time while I'm in Milano. And I told the morning congregation, you're never off the clock with God. <laughs> if you're sitting down spiritually, you've got a huge problem with the Father. If you're not rolling up your sleeves, if you're not using your gifts, if you're not serving the body, if you're not loving the body, brothers and sisters, you've got a huge problem with your God. You've got a huge problem. You're never off the clock with Him. He expects you to live every minute of your life as a good steward. It's the life He's given you to live. He expects you to live it for His glory. He expects you to live it in obedience to Him. I, uh, I had lunch with a dejected uh, missionary early on when I, when I came here. And, and you guys know the stati statistics, probably some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but 90% of all Protestant missionaries that come to Italy quit. They just go home. And... Uh, it's not an easy place for a lot of different reasons. But he was very dejected. You know, he said, Italy never had a Reformation. And, uh, and I said to him, well, wh why not now? And of course, he rolled his eyes <laughs> at me. And I know he'd had a hard, hard time. But why not now? Why not pray like that? You know, the people that experienced the First Reformation, they never saw it coming, did they? They never saw it coming. They didn't know what was going on. They had no idea God was going to turn Europe upside down. What I'm challenging you to do is pray that God will turn Italy upside down, that Italy will have a Reformation. Why not pray huge? Why not believe huge? 
Why not give huge? Why not invest huge? Why not obey huge? Right here, right now. And expect God to come down in great power. Why not? Why not? I think it delights God when we cry out to Him expecting Him to do the unprecedented because God is an expert at that. God never doesn't do the unprecedented. All you got to do is read your Bible. This is His expertise. He's always doing the thing which never has been done before. I love that about Him. Okay, I'm going to finish the series. Uh, we've been talking about the vision or the purpose of the International Church of Milan, and I want to finish that. You know, we've been leading up to this with six messages. Do you remember the first one? It was about that we need to be like Daniel. And how do we need to be like Daniel? Does anybody remember? We need to be like Daniel, and that Daniel was uncompromising. Daniel stood on the Word of God. He would not compromise on the Word of God. And do you remember, what the, you remember the fruit that came from this man's faithfulness? This man's willingness to be uncompromising? This man's willingness to stand on God's Word? Do you remember the fruit of this? You had two pagan kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, both praising God. This is what happens when God's people are uncompromising on His Word. God is magnified and unbelievers see it. Unbelievers see it. Daniel was uncompromising. And the unbelievers around him, they saw it. We need to be like that. The second message I had was, we're like David. Do you remember that? We're like David. How do we need to be like David? <laughs> well, if there's going to be a reformation in Italy, um, some people are going to have to step in front of a giant. If, we're going to have to step in front of a giant if there's going to be a reformation in Italy. And we're going to have to be risk takers. We're going to have to be risk takers. We're going to have to believe God enough. You remember David was indignant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of the living God? He was indignant. He was zealous. You couldn't keep that little boy from running out there to, to knock down that nine-foot giant. You couldn't stop him. <laughs> he was indignant. He, this, this, this Philistine had, had, uh, had insulted his God. David was uh, of no account in the eyes of men, just like us, just like this church. <laughs> We're a Lilliputian operation. But God loves to do mighty things through little people and weak people and humble people. God loves to do it. He loves to magnify Himself in humble people. The third message we had was, was about financial stewardship, about our giving. And we went to Luke chapter 12, verse 21, and we saw that God calls His people to be rich in Him. God's people aren't supposed to be rich in the things of the world. We're not called to hoard things up. We're called to... Uh, invest in the kingdom of God. What did, what did the Lord Jesus say? He said, store up treasures for yourself where? In heaven. Friends, are you? are you? Are you trapped in this worldly mindset that we've got to hoard up tons and tons and tons of wealth and tons and tons and tons of cash? God says, seek me first and I'll take care of the rest of the stuff. This is what God says. This is what the Lord Jesus says. He calls His people to be givers, bountiful and cheerful givers in the church. In the church. This is what God calls His people to do. You may remember we looked at Exodus 36. The people were bringing too much. You remember? <laughs> they were bringing too much. And Moses had to restrain the people from bringing 
they were bringing too much. And I told you earlier when we, when we did this series, see, I, I need to stand up here one day and I need to say, stop bringing money. We can't, we, we don't need any more. <laughs> That's what Christian giving is supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to look like in the body of Christ. The fourth message is about our exclusive trust in the gospel. We don't trust in the, the old dead edicts and councils of, of the past. We don't trust in, in, in that old system that tries to manage and micromanage the, the gospel and conversion. And we don't trust in, in the, the newfangled uh, church growth movements. We don't try to be slick. We don't try to have a package presentation. We don't try to manipulate someone psychologically or emotionally to get them to capitulate and, and pray some parroted prayer. We don't do that. We trust in the power of the Word of God to convert. That's what we do. That's who we are. We trust in the power of God, the power of His Word, and the power of His Spirit. We don't have to, we don't have to play games with people. We just be honest with them and pray for them and love them and minister to them and watch what God does in their hearts. We trust in the power of the Word of God. That's how we do ministry at ICM. The fifth, the fifth message was, was about prayer. <laughs> and God insists that His people pray. And the other thing He, he insists on is that He's going to answer. And I love that about Him. I know you do too. Ezekiel 36, we saw that God says, I'm going to do all this stuff for Israel. Let me just tell you real quick what the list was. He says, I'm going to convict them of their sin and I'm going to cleanse them. Then he, and then he said, I'm going to remove their heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. And then he said, I'm going to put my spirit in them that they may walk in my statutes. He said, then I'm going to multiply the fruit of their labor. And then he said, I'm going to establish them in a desolate place. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, man, that's the prayer of the International Church of Milan. Come great God and convict us of our sin. Fill us with your spirit. Multiply the, the fruit of our labor. Come and establish us here in this dark and desolate place. We need you, God, because it can't happen without you. And that needs to be our prayer. And I told you that we need to be praying like that. But do you remember God's condition? When He told the Jews, He said, I'm going to do it. I will do it. But what was His condition? Anyone remember? His condition was, you've got to ask me. God says, I'll have my people ask me. And I'm challenging you as a church to be asking God to bless this church. I'm challenging you as a church to ask God to come down in great power. I'm asking you to pray expecting God to do the unprecedented in Italy. The unprecedented in Italy. And I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to pray like that. I love what John Blanchard said just quickly. He, remember he said, prayer is not wrestling with God's reluctance to bless us. It's laying hold of His willingness to do so. And I'm challenging you to lay hold of the willingness of God to bless this work. You may remember the last message was about the authenticating mark of a true Christian. Jesus said, real Christians love one another even as I have loved them. It's blood, sweat, and tears love. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of love we're called to. Love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Courageous, expensive, and selfless kind of love. I told the morning congregation I could, I could do 50 more sermons on things we, we could be about. I could. I really could. But I think it's time to just draw it to an end. But I told them as I thought about this, you know what? If we could just do these six things, if we could do these six things, if we could get this right, if we could be uncompromising, 
with, with the Word of God, if we, could, if we were willing to take risks for God, if, if we were really bountiful and hilarious givers, as Paul says to the Corinthians, if we really trusted alone in His power, we don't have to do goofy things that much of the Western church is doing. We trust in God's power to convert. And if we persevered in prayer and really loved one another as Christ called us to love one another, friends, I believe that's fertile ground for God to do miraculous things among us. If we can just get those six things right, <laughs> there's no telling what God may do among us. If we would commit ourselves to these things. Okay. Let me read something to you I may have shared before. Dated 2-22-04. This was the vision of the six men and women sitting around that table that replanted this dead church. It says this, the ministry team, which is, was Karen and I at that time, commits to dedicate themselves to long-term ministry in, in Milan, Italy. They commit to serving God through first building the foundation of a strong local English-speaking church. Having that foundation of a strong English-speaking church will allow the ministry team to eventually build a ministry to reach out to the Italian population. Now, obviously, we're still in phase one. We're obviously... Uh, it's a great blessing to see. I, I was sitting up here listening to you guys sing, and it's just, I was just thinking what it was like when I used to stand up here and lead seven people, you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't sing that good. <laughs> but it was so great to listen to you guys sing, and I'm just praising God for it, you know. And, and obviously we have miles to go. We have miles to go to be established as an as international church that's strong and viable and self-supporting. We have miles to go, but God has been so gracious because He, he has sent the Palermos and the Joneses to us. So we can, we can jump start that second part of, of the vision to begin to do Italian work. And we praise God for, for uh, Giuseppe and Rachel and Keith and Debbie. We praise God for them and we love them and we treasure them. And we're so glad that they're here for us. And we're so happy to partner with them in this endeavor. We're so happy to do that. And, and let me share the, the last two pillars of what I think the overarching vision of the church is. Uh, to establish ICM, to begin the process of reaching out to Italians, to plant a, a sister Italian church. Thirdly, to reach out to poor immigrants that, that are in this international city. And to either bring them into the ICM, bring them into our church, if location and transportation is a problem, to help them plant a church of their own, to finance it, and to help them do that, and to be a part of that, and to fellowship with them, and to, to, share, to share choir teams or music teams, and, and to share preachers, and to do that. The fourth thing is to establish a significant mercy ministry to the poor, whether they be Italians or immigrants. So these are the four pillars of the vision that we believe God has given to us. And I, I'll be honest with you, when I sit behind my desk <laughs> and I think, we can't even get a car titled right now. And I think about just the bureaucracy. It gives me a really bad headache. And, and it's, not just, it's not the believing part and the trusting God part. It's the, it's the massive bureaucracy and the red tape to do anything in this place. But I give it to God. It's a, big, it's a big ladder for me. You heard me talk about this several weeks ago. When I look up that ladder, I go, Oh Lord, I'm not, I'm not capable. Of, I'm not able to do this. But I leave this to the Lord. We have to leave this to the Lord and Giuseppe. <laughs> but you remember a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we, we were in John chapter 6, and you remember Jesus turned to Philip and He said, 
how are we going to feed all these people? Do you remember this? How are we going to feed all these people? And I told the morning congregation, I noticed something there that had never really jumped off the page at me before. Jesus said to Philip, how are we going to do this? That's what Jesus said. You may remember Philip said, this is impossible. It'll take too much. And then Andrew said, it's impossible. We have too little. What did Jesus say? Have the people sit down. And we talked a little bit about that. And I think another important point that's often missing, missed in that, in that, in that account, and you look, if you go read the Matthew uh, version, you'll, you'll see it. Jesus brought all the power. <laughs> Nothing was going to happen without Christ. He brought all of the power. And that's what we look for him to do in this place. But he distributed the food through the men. All the men had to do was that Proverbs, whatever I started with, was it, I don't know, 39 or something? 29? 29. Hear what God says. Oh, and do it. That's all they did. They simply obeyed what he said, and Jesus did the, the impossible. He did, did the impossible. He fed ten to 15,000 people with five biscuits and two fish. And friends, this is what God's calling you and I to do, to hear Him and to obey. That's all we have to do. He brings all the power. We, we don't have to worry about that. All we need to be concerned about is doing what He's called us to do. Okay, I want to take a, just a moment and uh, talk about a few milestones that we, we enjoyed in 07. Again, the Palermos and the Joneses are with us, praise God. And we're beginning that process, reaching out to Italians. The second thing we did, as you may know, is we, by God's enabling, we planted a church in the north. We have a morning congregation now, and that's an awesome thing. And they're about the same size as you guys um, right now. And, and uh, we praise the Lord for, for what He's doing up there. God sent us the singing Canadians, and we're very happy. We're very excited. The, the singing Canadians are with us. And, and uh, that, that's, there's a couple years of prayer right there for Karen and I and, and just to see what God does to bring these, this wonderful young couple uh, and also to work with young adults and, and the youth, and we're just so thankful for them. Uh, as of 1108, uh, the church has taken a significant step in becoming self-supporting. Uh, the church has, the board has decided to take full responsibility for uh, Karen and my salary. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And we've been able to say we don't need it because we have friends in the states who still are supporting us. Um, you know that the, there, there, there are people in, in Canada and the U.S. supporting the Davies. And it's important that if this church is going to be viable, this church has to support their full-time ministry team. But that's a big deal. That was a big deal, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. By the way, if you don't know who the board is, it's Nelson Carter, Dave Johnson, Jim Wilson, and Derek He. Okay? Um, lastly, lastly, uh, as you know, this year we tried to launch uh, ESL. We didn't quite make it, but we're going to trust God that that's going to happen this year. And the other, another thing that, that we did, we, we built our own website. Giuseppe actually did all the work on that. But, but uh, we, we have our own website now. And uh, so you can go visit it if you haven't seen the new website. It's icm-milan.org. Um, so what are our hopes and dreams for 08? Our hopes and dreams for 08, obviously, to get the ESL uh, meeting and functioning. Uh, 
if the Lord continues to lead as He is leading presently, uh, sometime next year you will probably see me preaching and you'll probably see Italians out in, the, out in the audience with an ear device and they'll be hearing me preach. They'll be hearing it translated into Italian. Uh, we've decided to, to make the, the investment and buy the equipment. And uh, Lord willing, we will see that happen. Simultaneous translation. Lord willing, you'll see that happen this year. The other thing that we might see, uh, Lord willing, in the fall would be ISL. Italian as a second language. Italian as a second language. And you know why I want to do ISL? Um, you know why I want to, to do that and offer that? And I want to offer it for free. You know why? Because you know who's going to come. Immigrants are going to come. Uh, poor immigrants that are trying to scrape out a living here are going to come. And we're going to be able to start building those relationships. And we're going to be able to start talking to them about, about worshiping with us or helping them plant a place or, uh, or whatever. So I'm really, I'm really, really jazzed about that. And then we're talking about, too, we're asking God for a larger place to meet. A place maybe that we could lease. Um, and if God chooses to do a great miracle, a place that we could own. Uh, who knows, the Lord may just give us a place. He's, he's known to do these kinds of things. But it seems crucial. It seems crucial for the long-term viability of this church to have a place to meet so we don't get bumped uh, unexpectedly as we did tonight. But that's a minor thing. We're thankful for this place. But it seems, like for, for, it seems essential for the long-term health of both the English-speaking work and the Italian work and immigrant work. At some point, we need to find a place that, that we can control and call our own. Okay, briefly, I want to communicate to you the church, where the church is financially. And I know I've done a poor job of this uh, in my, my years here. And, you know, it goes back to the first two and a half years here. I never talked about money at all. I never did. And one reason is when we, when we first got here on that first year, we averaged 20 people. Uh, more than half of them were unbelievers. You don't talk to unbelievers about money. You give them the gospel, right? You don't talk about money. Uh, you talk to believers about money. You don't talk to unbelievers about those things. They need to just hear the gospel. But just to inform you, just to inform you, this is what I want to do tonight. Uh, we have a budget for 08, and it's available for anyone who wants to see it. If, if, if God is leading you to support this work, or if God is leading you to increase your support in this work, and you want to know more about how those dollars are used, those kingdom dollars are used, just ask me for the budget. I'll be happy to email it to you. I would love it if you asked me. I would love to send it to you. Okay, um, we're projecting our offerings. You can't project God. These are kind of silly sometimes, right? But you have to kind of know where you are. But based on what happened in 07, if we increase it, say 10%, our, our receipts for 08 will be 70,000 U.S. dollars. Okay, our expenses are budgeted at 120,000 U.S. dollars. Did you do the math on that? We're a little shy. <laughs> we're about 50,000 U.S. dollars. Shy. The good news is that we will begin 08 with about 70,000 U.S. dollars in the bank. Praise God. Praise the Lord. We, we have this surplus from previous years. Praise the Lord. Um, but if, if the budget deficit holds true, then we will only have like 20,000 U.S. at the end of 08. And that does not really position us well to, to uh, be ready to, to uh, look at uh, the possibility of having our own place. But we trust the Lord in these things. We trust the Lord in these things. I want to say something to you about giving um, and this church. I've never talked about it. I, I did a series, I think, last year on it because the time seemed right. But um, I, think, 
I have inadvertently communicated that it's not important for you to worship God with your money in this place because we don't take an offering. And the reason I don't take an offering is I never want somebody to put money in the offering because they feel guilty. I don't like that. And I know God doesn't. What does God say? God says we need to be what? Cheerful givers. It just needs to flow out of our heart. So I don't want the plate to go by and someone think, oh, I need to give because somebody's watching me, so I'll give. I don't ever want that to happen. I hate that. I detest that. But I, I think I've inadvertently communicated that it's not important to worship God right here in this place that He's providentially put you. I hear people say sometimes, I'm still giving to my home church or I'm, I'm heavily supporting some parachurch organization. And I say, great, Give to your home church and support a parachurch organization. But God has brought you into this local body providentially. And I say you need to support this work. Brothers and sisters, this is what I say. And I think I stand on biblical authority here. You need to support this work. Where God is ministering to you, where God is feeding you, and where you're coming to worship. Him, where you're meeting Him. God says, bring the whole tithe and offering into my storehouse. This is what the Lord God says. And then, you know the, the famous verse in Malachi 3, and I remember when I first read that, and I thought, oh my gosh, I was guilty. Will a man rob God? And the Old Testament Jews said, how are we robbing you? And what, did, what was the response? You are robbing me because you are not bringing the tithes and offerings into my storehouse. I will keep my commitment to you. I will never personally come to you and ask you for money. And I will never ask for money from the pulpit. I never will. But I will not shirk my responsibility as your pastor to remind you what God says. God expects His people to worship Him in their giving. This is what God says. And it's my responsibility to remind you of that, to remind you of that. And many of you do give. And I praise God. I praise God for every penny He brings. I know it's from Him. It's just through you. And I praise Him. It's for His glory, right? It's for His glory. And I thank You for every penny that hits the plate. Every penny that hits the plate. Jesus turned to Philip and He said, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this impossible thing? <laughs> What's the answer? We just need to hear Jesus. We need to hear Him. It's the whole Proverbs 29 thing. We need to hear Him and we need to do it. We need to hear Him and we need to do it. The first thing is of no value without the second thing. The first thing is of no profit without the second thing. We must hear Him and we must do it. So I'm exhorting you as the body of the International Church of Milan, and I know we don't have formal membership, and people ask me about it sometimes. It just doesn't seem wise to me. But if you come here and, and, uh, regularly and you worship with us and you meet God here, then you're a member here. You're a member here. And you, that carries all the responsibilities of membership and that entitles you to all the privileges of membership. Okay? And I want you to understand that. And as your pastor, I'm exhorting you tonight. Beloved. And I love every one of you and I thank God for every one of you. I do. 
when you start with six people, <laughs> you thank God for every single one that He brings. You, you're not, uh, you don't take anybody for granted. And I thank God for every single one of you. But I'm standing in front of you tonight, and I want to say, I want you to pray huge, and I want you to believe huge. I want you to give huge. I want you to invest huge in this church. I want you to obey God. And I want us to expect Him to do the unprecedented in Milano. Expect Him to do the unprecedented in Milano. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. What an awesome promise. Brothers and sisters, give your heart completely to Him and just wait for Him to show up. Because he says he's coming. <laughs> he's coming. Let's pray together. Oh, beautiful God, we love you. We love you. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us that so often we, uh, Father, our expectations are, are so mediocre and our, our, we, we settle into what's comfortable. And oh, God, that's not what you're calling us to do. You're calling us to be Hebrews 11 children. Children who hear and then do. Children who are uncompromising on Your Word. Children who are risk takers. Children who are fearless. Children who are willing to step in front of giants. Children who give hilariously. Children who simply trust in Your power. We don't do goofy things. We just trust in Your power to build Your church. Children who pray, who persevere in prayer and pray. And children who love one another as You've called us to love one another. Oh God, we want to be like that. We want to be a church like that. And we're crying out to You, oh Lord God, unapologetically we cry out to You, bless us here. Bless us in this place. Pour Your Spirit out and bless us in this place. Magnify Yourself in this place. Bring glory and honor and renown to the name of Jesus Christ in this place. Convert hundreds. Convert thousands. Father, may there be a reformation in Italy. You're good at the unprecedented. And we look to You, O oh God. We are helpless before this mighty multitude. But we can do all things in Christ Jesus who strengthens us. We love You, O oh God. We love You, beautiful God. Thank You for this vision that You've given us. Give us the courage and the faith and the generosity and the, the sweat, the mental toil and stamina, Father, to, to be about it to be doing it. We pray this in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. We're going to end in the old way we used to end. So stand with me.